أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم We are on سورة الغافر سورة number 40 The surah is also known as سورة المؤمن The believer أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم تنزيل الكتاب من الله العزيز العليم حميم two letters from the broken letters الحروف المقطعات letters that sometimes appear in the beginning of surahs we don't know what they mean exactly some people say they are also names of Allah and some people say they are names of the surah and others have different opinions but the truth is only Allah knows what they mean so this was part of the you know the oral tradition where the Arabs were proud of their ability to express and to compose and perhaps even write but uh, they uh, they miscalculated the importance of letters what makes a language obviously are the words and the words are now put into sentences or couplets or statements commands and negative commands and all of that but at the same time, every word is composed of letters. So the Quran being a comprehensive book, it is the book, Dhalikul Kitab, the book. So when you have a comprehensive book, then you must account for everything that goes into a language. And since letters are part of a language, you must have letters in your book also. So the Qur'an comprises individual letters, right? So the letters make up the word, but the irony is that letters that are not arranged in a word don't seem to have much meaning. So the word kitab is made of kaf, Alif and Ba, but if you broke them up and you just wrote Kaf, Ta, Alif and Ba, the letters independent of the word won't give you any meaning. See, if you spelt the word cat, C A T, then it means what it means, it means a cat. But if you were to separate them, Break them away, maqattaat, break them apart from the word, C-A-T, independent of the word, C means nothing, A means nothing, and T means nothing. So that's the irony of language, uh, that it is composed of independent letters, 
of which you know nothing. And that's the challenge. That is the challenge. That how do human beings make up something of meaning from something that has no meaning? So where's your knowledge? Your knowledge is severely limited. And that's why we say the knowledge of these letters resides with Allah. Only Allah knows what these broken letters mean. What does ha mean by itself? What does meem mean by itself? And when you put them together and you recite ha meem, what do they mean? We don't know. Right? But if we were to arrange them in such a way that it becomes a word, a kalima, then it means something. But independent of the kalima, the harf, the letter means very little to us. But how do you do that? How can a huge language be made up of uh, particles right, and molecules that have no meaning? Independent, only when you bring them into a construct will they give you meaning. So the Quran being comprehensive accommodated everything that comes in the language. So it accommodated the sentences, it accommodated the ayat and the verses, it accommodated the surahs, it accommodated the words, and it accommodated the letters. So when the Quran was revealed and it said alif lamim, then the poets were confused. What is this? They couldn't challenge that because the words are there, right? Meaning alif has a meaning, lam has a meaning, meme has a meaning, but we don't know what they mean. So even in the original placing of the language, the ilm al-wada', there is no meaning given to alif. There's a numeric value given to alif, but there's no meaning given to it. Which is very amazing and very mystical. So Allah is challenging the reader, saying, you go figure what these letters mean. You go figure. They have a meaning, I will tell you, maybe on the Day of Judgment. When you're in Jannah, we'll tell you what they mean. But in this world, your mind is severely restricted, limited, because you don't know what these words mean, independent of the word. So your ability to understand is based on a construct of which you have no meaning. Then how do you speak? <laughs> right? Yeah. So now, the, the one that is, uh, what, what is it? The jamad. Mm. Things that don't have sounds and noises. Animals make noises. They don't have words. Right? But then there's a language there. Some animals have a very sophisticated language, like the bee has a very sophisticated language. Birds have a very sophisticated language. Uh, as the Quran says about Sulaiman Alayhi We have been taught the language of birds. So they are very sophisticated, but they're sounds. They're not letter, necessarily letters, so you have to decode them. So these are codes. Okay. Now, what do these codes mean? Only Allah knows. 
So you mustn't, uh, you know, bang your head against the wall to find out what these letters mean, because that is the challenge. The challenge is Islam. Submit to Allah's knowledge. That's the challenge. Allah knows what these letters mean, and you don't. But even though you don't know what they mean, they still have to be recited. So it's not that you only recite what you know the meaning of. You recite everything, whether you know the meaning of it or you don't know the meaning of it. And what is the benefit of that? The Prophet said, you will be rewarded ten for each letter you read. is one letter, Lam is one letter, Meme is one letter. For reciting Alif, Lam, Meme, you'll get 30 reward, even though you don't know what it means. So the Ibadah is in the recitation. The Quran's Ibadah is where? In its recitation, not in its meaning. The meaning of the Quran is intellectual, and you may acquire that over time. 50, 60, 70, 80 years. But the recitation gives you immediate reward. Because as soon as you say Alif Lam Mim, you are rewarded 30 times. You don't have to know the meaning to be rewarded, which is what Ibadah means. So Islam is Ibadah, and the Quran is an Ibadah, and therefore you must see the Quran as Ibadah and not as a means of intellectual entertainment. Meaning, every intellectual discussion in the Qur'an has to be based on ibadah. So whether you know what the words mean or not, you must still recite it. That's why it's called the Qur'an, which means a recitation. So you must understand, appreciate the depth of the purpose of these letters, not the meanings. We don't know the meanings, only Allah knows what the meanings are but the depth of the utility. Now, there is utility in not knowing something and applying it, which is, again, paradoxical for the modern man. It's not that paradoxical, it's just that man becomes very arrogant. I don't know what it means, so I'm not going to recite it. How do I recite a book which has no meaning to me? So we must appreciate that the Qur'an is sent primarily as an act of ibadah. Iqra' means to recite. Recite the Qur'an. The meanings will come to you later. So you can't wait until you know the meaning before you recite. You must recite first, then the meaning comes. Now the meaning will come later on on the Day of Judgment in Jannah. When inshallah Allah recites to us, we'll know more further meanings. Ah, so you mustn't wait for that. I won't recite until I know the meaning. What is the purpose of reading a book of which I know the meaning of nothing? That's not the utility of the Qur'an. The utility of the Qur'an is ibadah. Do you know everything you need to know about ibadah? Why you have one ruku and two sajdas? No? Do you know why you have one ruku and two sajdas? No. <laughs> do you need to know? No. Do you need to do your salat that way? Yes. 
So now sometimes you go with what is the utility without knowing the meaning. And as I said, it's, it's not that paradoxical in real life. If you don't know anything about how a smartphone works, you can still use it. You don't know the algorithms that go behind some of you do, may do. I don't. But just because I don't know anything about how the smartphone works doesn't mean it's, I can't use it. I can use it. So just because I don't know the meanings of Alif Lam Mim, I shouldn't recite them. I should recite them because the utility is primarily ibadah. That you'll be rewarded and that reward is not here. That reward is eternal. It will stay with you as long as, inshallah, you're in Jannah. And you'll be in Jannah forever. So the reward of 30 will stay with you eternally, which is the greatest utility of all. So there is a lesson for the poets that Allah said to the poets, you don't use letters in your language, even though every word is composed of letters. So if you're going to write a book, then the book must include everything there is in the language and there's no book on the earth which has letters except the Quran only the Quran has letters and those letters are recited they're not understood so now we have included everything in the book letters words sentences surahs and the whole Quran as a complete recitation we've included the micro and the macro, that is why it is the book, the book, and it's recited, and it's understood, and it's written, and it's memorized, and it's documented, and it's adorned, and it's decorated, and everything else. It's everything that is done with the book is unique, and it is a miracle, and that is the preservation of the Quran. But it stems from the letters. So now, later on, obviously every letter is made up of small dots. So we have dots also now. Uh, Post-revelation, we put the dots on the letters to facilitate the recitation for the non-Arab. Yeah. Anyway, that is how you see Hamim. Only Allah knows what these letters mean. They have their purpose and their utility. The Prophet ﷺ would seek Allah's nusrah and help through reciting these letters, Hamim. Hmm. Hamim was a very important formula for the Prophet ﷺ. So when he wanted to receive divine nusrah and help and assistance, he would recite these letters, Hamim, 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 and so on. And the Sahaba also used some of these letters on occasions for bringing down Allah's rahmah and Allah's nusr and Allah's help and assistance. Anyway, Tanzeel al-Kitab min Allah al-Aziz al-Alim. This is a revelation. This is the descendants of the revelation. Tanzeel means to bring down. It means to bring down. So this is the descendant. This is the bringing down of the revelation. So the, the, the translation here is not as accurate as the word suggests. He's giving you a, a general translation here. And so it is the coming down 
of the revelation. Al-Kitab means revelation, the book. This is the coming down, the tanzil and the revelation. Both is min Allah, is from Allah. So Allah is very high, very, very high up there beyond the arsh, and beyond the heavens and beyond Jannah. He is very high in that, in that he brings down this revelation to the level of human beings, okay, which is his fadl. Right, something that is supra-rational and beyond human intellect, Allah brings down. I mean Allah, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Aziz who is the supreme, who is the overwhelming, the overpowering, Al-Alim, the all-knowledgeable, all-knowing. Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is supreme, mighty, and all-powerful, etc., with his might and supremacy and his glory, his izza, uh, he uh, brings down this revelation in the form of a descending order, tanzil, so that it goes through phases uh, before it reaches the human heart and the human mind of the Prophet ﷺ, which then receives it and then repeats it in terms of recitation and then he explains it so that the human being is able to understand what this revelation means okay so the the, the idea is that something that is beyond the human's intellect is now recited number one uh, and number two it is also understood on the whole so on the whole the quran is uh, understood in terms of its application in this world al-alim the all-knowing Right. So Allah, in another word, shares his knowledge with mortals. That's his generosity. Usually when you have academics who live in ivory tower, they're kind of snobbish. They won't talk to you. Right? That's just the way they are. So if you have a genius of a person who's brilliant in one field, he won't talk to you. They don't have time for you. Allah is not like that. Allah creates intellect and uh, despite being all-knowing and supreme and mighty and powerful, uh, he is also very gracious and generous that he shares some of his knowledge with human beings. Uh, that is the fadl of Allah, that he wants to do this and then he enables this through the process of tanzil. Tanzil means to bring down in order, so that that which is beyond comprehension is now within comprehension. Right? So this is Allah's fadl that we must approve, appreciate, and then enjoy. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now using such words that allows the ordinary human being understand something that is supra-rational and supra-intellectual and that is a sign of the greatest communicator. So in other sciences the more difficult and complex the formula the more ingenious it is. So they make it hard. The formulas are hard by design. Right? So if you do chemistry or biology or physics or math, and you have all these formulas, and you calculus, uh, you don't know what the heck 
What, what is XY? XY, XY. Huh? What are these valencies? What are these, uh, what do you call it, uh, terms that you give to the different uh, <coughs> elements and minerals? And why do you have signs and codes? Huh? Why is oxygen O? And why is hydrogen H? And so on. Huh? That's what complex uh, articulation of knowledge. But that's within the human concept. It's irrational. Something that's super rational and you make it accessible to the Bedouin Arab, ah, that's a miracle. That's the ajaz. That's the inimitability of the Quran. That the Quran, despite coming from Allah the Almighty, who is beyond reason, beyond comprehension, beyond, beyond conception, makes his knowledge available, accessible to someone who doesn't know how to read or write and the Bedouin Arab. That's the generosity of Allah and that's his ability and that's his knowledge that he's able to do this. So this is how we must see the Quran as being something that is a gift from Allah. Hmm. It's a gift. You can't do this as a human being. The genius of the Nabi is that the Nabi makes every concept easily accessible and tenable to the ordinary human being. Right? Meaning the Nabi is given a language by which he is able to communicate all of these realities to the common person. Someone who doesn't know how to read and write will be able to understand what the Prophet is saying. And that is something that is unknown in human history. That someone who's super intellectual is able to sit down on the ground and while he's eating food, he's able to communicate the greatest realities of existence in very simple terms. That's the genius of the Nabi. The Nabi's ability to communicate is the genius of the Nabi. And that is how we see the knowledge of all the Prophets, والسلام, as the Prophet himself said, I have been given the Quran and with it something similar to it. And what is that? His words. So what is similar to the Quran is Hadith and the Sunnah. And through the Hadith and Sunnah he is able to communicate very supra-rational intellectual discussions to those people who were with him, the Sahaba from the Muhajirun and also the Ansar. The Muhajirun might have been somewhat organized, sophisticated, but the Ansar, they were not organized or sophisticated. They were very simple people. They were farmers mostly. And they understood Wahi just as well as the Quraysh understood Wahi. Anyway, so this, this is Tanzil. It's all in the word Tanzil, bringing something from above to the floor, bringing it down. How do you bring it down? without changing the concept. Yeah. That is an art that not too many people in the world have. Anyway, that's enough. غَافِرِ الذَّنْبِ وَقَابِلِ التَّوْبِ شَدِيدِ الْإِقَابِلِ الطَّوْلِ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا هُوَ إِلَيْهِ الْمَصِيرِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself now as we are not able to describe Allah the way we should do. لا أحسي ثناء عليك 
that you're not able to do this and you can't uh, praise Allah the way you should. So he praises himself and he describes himself for us. It is part of the tanzeel, it is part of the kitab, the revelation. But first of all, he is the one who forgives sins. He forgives sins. That he knows human beings are weak and he knows invariably every human being is going to commit sins. And knowing that makes him the one who forgives the sins. So Allah is capable of forgiving sins. This is an aqeedah every Muslim has to have. Because if he disbelieves this, then there is no hope for anyone. And then you will become despondent and you will become an atheist and you might even just commit suicide. So this aqeedah is of utmost importance that Muslims must realize and appreciate that Allah is capable of forgiving every sin. What is the condition for that? That he also accepts tawbah. Meaning in the human construct, the human being must make tawbah for Allah to accept his tawbah and then forgive him his sin. That's how it plays out in Sharia. So we say Allah will forgive if you accept, if you ask for forgiveness. And you make tawbah and you repent. So you acknowledge your sin. You acknowledge that Allah is capable of forgiving your sin. And then you ask for forgiveness. And then Allah accepts your tawbah. This is how we do this in Islam. So a Muslim must always forgive, ask for forgiveness. Acknowledge his sin and mistake. And then wait for Allah to accept his tawbah. The way Allah accepts tawbah is in the uh, reality that the person no longer goes towards that sin. Then he or she will know Allah has accepted my tawbah. Until that time comes, you must continue to ask for forgiveness. Yeah, There's no guarantee that you will not go back to the sin. So you must have remorse. Number one, number two, you must give up the sin in order for you to know subjectively that Allah has accepted your tawbah and so on. If you're still uh, leaning towards the sin, then you must continue asking for forgiveness. You don't discontinue because that's from the shaitan. The devil will tell you, eh, no use. As, as, uh, I, I do all this tawbah and istighfar and nothing happens. The istighfar is most important. You must seek Allah's forgiveness and you must acquiesce and submit to your own incompetence and your inability and your deficiency. And you must believe in Allah's proficiency, Allah's perfection, Allah's rahmah, Allah's fadl. If you do that, then Allah will, inshallah, one day accept all of your tawbah and then forgive you. So this is an aqeedah issue, how you see Allah come into play in your own individual life as I said at the micro level yeah. so we must appreciate that Allah wants us to do this at the same time make a resolve and resolution not to commit the sin or go near the sin again which is part of your reformation shadid al-iqab at the same time Muslims must appreciate that he is very strict uh, in punishment very severe in punishment, meaning he can 
if he wants to, he can punish you. And that fear must be there. Not in the back of your mind, in the front of your mind. Uh, I must not take God for granted. Uh, and I must believe that just as he is capable of forgiving me, he is just as capable of punishing me. It is that balance that makes you a Muslim. Yeah. So we, we believe Allah has all these names and attributes. And our appreciation for Allah is not incomplete in the sense that God is all love and mercy. Then we are now saying that he doesn't have the ability to punish, which makes him incomplete. So in our uh, appreciation for Allah, we keep him as a wholesome, complete being where he's able to forgive and he's just as able to punish. We're not going to deny him that ability uh, because uh, we don't want him to be that way. So Allah is not about how you want him to be. It's the way he is. And you must accept Allah the way he is, not the way you think he is. Uh, again, the submission there, Islam, you must submit. Yes, you must submit to who Allah is. You must not uh, fantasize about who Allah should be. That's where your ego comes in. Then you're assuming that Allah will be the way you want him to be. Uh, you mustn't do that. Allah doesn't uh, uh, react to you and change his personality because of you. Allah remains the same. He is a-contextual. He is beyond time. And he is eternal. So a Muslim will see Allah as a source of immense forgiveness and pardon, but he will also see him as one who's capable of punishing both. So if you have this, then you are a good person, and you will be a balanced person and you will not fall on the side of extremism. This is to show people that they cannot be extremists and lose hope in Allah's forgiveness, and they must not be too, too bashful in their appropriation of Allah's punishment either. They are not the custodians of Jannah, human beings. Allah is going to punish you. There, you lean towards forgiveness all the time, but you must know that Allah is capable of punishing. And he has made a place where he will punish. That's called Jahannam. That place exists. Just as Jannah exists, Jahannam also exists. So Jahannam is a place where he will be very swift and strict in punishing. And Jannah is a place where he will forgive everybody. So that's your destination. Either here or there. It's up to you as a human being how you appropriate these names and attributes of Allah. So these names and attributes of Allah, as they are abstract and eternal. They have very significant mundane implications and applications. You apply them in your life. This is how I apply these names in my life. I seek Allah's forgiveness all the time. The Prophet used to say, I seek forgiveness from Allah hundred times a day, uh, he would say. So why would he do that when he was forgiven in the first place? Dittawl. Hmm. Ah, he is dittawl. Dittawl means uh, something like ni'amah and fadl uh, and so on, generosity. 
and all of that. There's so many words that we can use for bowl mm. that his extension is far-reaching and so on. Mm. He is the person of this. Thu and thee means a person who has this. So he is the person who has this far-reaching ability to give and to give as a gift and so on. So now, one is the system of retribution and equal retribution where Allah will forgive uh, if you make tawbah and you repent and Allah may punish you if you commit a sin and you don't make tawbah. And at the same time, he has added names and attributes and abilities and that is that he is just supremely generous supremely supremely generous where he will give because he just wants to give so we are not going to hold Allah hostage to anything he is the way he is and we can't dictate how he should be and that is the way we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but as I said all of these names have to be incorporated in the mind of a Muslim and he must not reduce Allah to one name or to one attribute and then go around the world saying, the Quran starts with Bismillah ar-Rahman Right. Allah is all Rahman, Allah is all Mercy. Then what about the Shadid al-Iqab? What about this? How are you going to incorporate it? Is not that also part of the Quran? Sure it is. Meaning that you must not be foolish into trying to appease and apologize, appease people and apologize for Islam. Because others might see Islam as being deficient. That's not your concern. Your concern is how do you see Allah? Never mind how others see Allah. How do you see Allah? And this is how you see Allah. Allah has already told you how you must see Him. There's a how to see Allah is not left to speculation or societal concerns or political realities or injustices. So we had a group of Muslims who did that. Uh, they estimated Allah according to political realities. The Mu'tazili, and they said that God has to be just. And there's nothing except justice for God, and so on. And they made a mess of the whole ummah, and they persecuted, and they killed. And they were violent people, and so on. Anyway, so now, it is not up to society, nor is it uh, contextual to the political order of the day uh, for Muslims to say, this is how I see God. This is how you see Allah, through revelation. It is beyond your intellect. He is beyond you and your conceptualization of him. So the way you see it is the way Wahi tells you to. And you must submit to Wahi. So Wahi says this, غافر الظم قابل التوب شديد الإقاب بالطول This is what Wahi tells you, how you must see Allah. And if Wahi tells you, then you submit. This is the way he is. It is simple as that. That is your greatest ibadah. Okay? Submission to who Allah is, is your greatest ibadah. If you pray five times a day and you have a distorted idea of understanding of Allah, then that is a distorted person. He's not a good Muslim. Right? Yeah. He's a person of bid'ah. The bid'ah is in the mind. It is intellectual. So you want to remove the bid'ah from your mind about Allah, you must not assume that Allah is going to conform to who you think he should be. Allah is independent of you and your thoughts. That's why he's God. If you want Allah to conform to you, then maybe you should be God. Because he's conforming to you. 
So you're the God, and He's the worshipper. Right? Very different approach. Submission is everything. Islam is everything. Intellectual Islam. You submit to revelation. And because you recite revelation, you submit to revelation before you understand it. And so on. But this is a big lesson. For those who want to contextualize God and in the name of spreading Islam, they appease people and they apologize for Islam. And God is all mercy. He is all mercy. But how does he appropriate his mercy? Allah tells you that too. So there's a place where there will be no mercy. And if you deny that place, you're not a Muslim. Then you can say what you want, we don't care. You can all say you're not a Muslim. Uh, any non-Muslim can say about God whatever he wants. It's a free country, you can do what you want. But if you say you're Muslim, and you say this is who Allah is, that is now not allowed. Because you're changing the goalposts. You don't change the goalposts, otherwise it's a different religion. So you want to maintain your Islam, and your Islam is aqidah. It's all how you see Allah. And the way you see Allah is through revelation. Revelation reveals who Allah is. So Allah reveals himself, and you must accept Allah for who he is, the way he is, and that is your iman. And if you have this, then you are a believer, inshallah. In the eyes of Allah, you are a believer. La ilaha illa huwa. There is no ilah or deity or God. There is no one worthy of worship except he. Illa huwa. Who is Hua? The one that is aforementioned in his names and attributes. The Sharada in Hua is the Ghaib, is the third person, the one that uh, has already been revealed. The one who exposed himself is the only deity, period. There is no deity besides that one. So this is how Muslims entertain. The understanding of Islam, the understanding of Allah's names and attributes, and Allah's names and attributes are the core foundation of a person's Islam. The ibadah there built on this foundation. So your salat, salam, zakat, and hajj, they're built on how you see Allah. If you see Allah the right way, your foundation is good. If you see Allah the wrong way, your foundation is not good. And one day you will crumble. Okay, the building will crumble if the foundation doesn't support it. So if your foundation of aqidah is not supporting your ibadat, a time will come when you will have no ibadah. And you'll leave the deen, you'll leave Islam. Because your foundation is not there. That's why aqidah is the most important component of ibadah in Islam. It is what makes you a Muslim. Okay. In your identification of who you are and what it is you are. The ibadah you do because Allah wants you to perform salat and give zakat and go for hajj and fast. And that is because Allah wants you to do those acts. But that, this is the way Allah wants you to see him. This is how we see Allah. It is only to him that our destiny is. Our return journey is only to him. Meaning there is no one else that we are going to turn to and resort to. Neither in this world 
nor in the other world. So in the other world, when we go into the world of graves, we are a step closer towards Allah on the day of judgment. When we are resurrected, we are another step closer to Allah. And in Jannah, we are with Allah. It is to Him. But sometimes you will not get to Him if you're in the wrong place. If you're in Jahannam, uh, He may not be accessible to you through His Rahmah. That's what Arafia inshallah. But this is now uh, the journey, Sara and Siro, the place of being, be, the place of becoming, and so on. So the idea here is that this is a revelation, Hamim, that these are letters which make up your words, even though you don't know what the letters mean. You know what the words mean when the letters are constructed in a word, which is paradoxical, that you build a language. Uh, made up of particles that you have no understanding what they mean. And when you do understand what they mean, you assume that you are the most uh, articulate. <laughs> you are the Arab. Uh, you are the one who speaks and expresses reality without knowing anything about the small little components called the letters. The, the irony of human intelligence is that they don't know the meanings of the letters. <laughs> right. You have some sense that in your symbols, right? if you know what symbols are, you can do that in music, you can do that in math, in physics, in chemistry, in biology, you can do that in the sciences where you have formulae, where the formulae are symbols, and those symbols give you meaning. Right. So you can see a sense that there's a bridge between the symbols and the meanings. So likewise, the letters have meanings. You don't know what those meanings are until you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you best submit to him now so that he can tell you what those means when you meet him. And that is now the descendants, the tanzeev, the bringing down of supra-intellectual realities to the mind of a common person. And that's the tanzeev, the tanzeevas of the revelation itself. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals himself. He gives us an insight into who he is. This is who Allah is and this is how we must believe in him. Because we have no way to access who Allah is except through revelation. The human mind is incapable of knowing the names and attributes of Allah. Although it is capable of knowing that Allah is one, it is not capable of knowing the nature of Allah except through revelation. We make dua Allah subhanahu He gives us tawfiq to believe in him the way we should. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Sallallahu ta'ala. Those of you who want to